Slow Burn Media, and the mind of Bill Huffman present Who Killed the Atlantic City Four? There is yet another murder mystery plaguing police, this one out of Atlantic City, New Jersey, where authorities there say they are eyeing several persons of interest in a string of unsolved homicides dating back to 2006. Sun, surf, and glittery casinos. That's the image Atlantic City puts out to attract millions of visitors and billions of their dollars. But this is another side of Atlantic City. November 20th, 2006, two people stumbled across the body of Kimberly Raffo. When police arrived, they found three more women's bodies, no more than 50 yards separating them. They worked the Atlantic City boardwalk. They were all found murdered and dumped in marshlands. Those murders remain unsolved. The search for clues continues 12 years after the bodies of four women were found in a West Atlantic City drainage ditch. The bodies of Kim Raffo, Molly Diltz, Barbara Breedor and Tracy Roberts were found in the ditch behind the Golden Key Motel, November 20th, 2006. Investigators say the work continues every day to try and bring the people behind their deaths to justice. Anyone with information is asked to call the Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office. Curtis Silva for CBS Philly. This is one of those men, Terry Olson. He and his lawyer, James Leonard, agreed to an interview. Did you murder these four women? I absolutely did not have anything to do with it. This fits the FBI definition of a serial killer. After finding the bodies here, one of the challenges investigators faced was that the elements had dramatically reduced the amount of recoverable evidence in the case. They worked the Atlantic City boardwalk. They were all found murdered and dumped in marshlands. Those murders remain unsolved. Everybody counts. Um, you know, every, everybody, you know, every person's a child of God. And we, you know, we, we view every person, uh, every victim uh, of every crime, particularly, you know, crimes of violence like this, as, as worthy of our best efforts. And anyone with information is asked to call Crime Stoppers at 609-652-1234, or you can call 1-800-658-8477. That's 1-800-658-TIPS. These were ladies who had a particular lifestyle, a lifestyle that uh, caused them to want to live below the radar. Tracy Ann Roberts, 23, was from Delaware and moved to Atlantic City for a job dancing. Without any disrespect to Mr. Olson, uh, he, he's not Machiavelli, okay? He's, he was simply answering their questions. I think that he presented to them an attractive target. Hello and welcome to Who Killed the Atlantic City 4. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and on this week's episode, I am again joined by Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast to discuss the case in a little bit more detail as well as discuss some of the suspects that have been interviewed throughout the investigation. Now, this case is one of those that boggles the mind because, again, four bodies were found in one location in a span of about 300 meters, and yet there are no suspects or any persons of interest that have actually been arrested. They've had a couple of suspects that they did name in the public, but according to authorities, those suspects have been cleared through DNA and a variety of other means. Now, to say that they do not have any involvement I won't go that far, but I will say that it is one of those cases that without any more information from another crime scene or 
something along those lines, we are probably going to be in a stagnant situation unless somebody comes forward. Now that there's a $25,000 reward being offered by John Kelly's profile group, Stock, spark some interest amongst the community and get people talking. Because the only way that this case is going to be solved is somebody's going to have to talk. And if you killed four people and dumped their bodies behind one particular location, the chances that you kept this to yourself aren't very good. So if you know anything, please contact the authorities. So just to give you a little background, again, four bodies were discovered behind the Golden Key Motel on November 20th, 2006 in Atlantic City, New Jersey. The four women were Kim Raffo, Barbara Brader, Tracy Ann Roberts, and Molly Delt. Uh, Nick and I do discuss that in our conversation that I will get to in just a moment. But I just wanted to give you a background on the case. Again, these women were found behind the Golden Key Motel, which is on a strip of very seedy motels in West Atlantic City. All four of the victims were considered homicides, but only two of them were able to be determined as strangulations or asphyxiation as the cause of death. Now, all the bodies, as I mentioned before, did not have any shoes, and all their heads did face towards the skyline of Atlantic City. Nick and I discussed that as well in our conversation. So instead of telling you what our conversation's about, I figured we might as well just jump right in. So I will... Uh, let you guys go and enjoy my conversation with Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast as we break down who killed the Atlantic City Four. I'm serial killer just like this dude is. I know that area. I'm from that area. I'm the guy that can help you find your man. And he referred to him as the River Man. There's actually a book called the river man ted bundy and i hunt for the green river killer by robert keppel and that is personally one of my favorite uh, true crime books and that was published before gary ridgeway was identified as the green river killer you know bundy definitely played that card till the day he died really i mean it was what's scary about that to me is that you're going to have if if in fact this guy killed these four women and he is truly calling himself or referring to himself as the river man it's a very scary situation because there's there's two things going on there one he's identifying with Gary Ridgway and two he very well could be competing with Gary Ridgway's quote unquote legacy i hate to say it that way but what do we know about Gary Ridgway Gary Ridgway said that killing was his career this man killed for so long he considered it his career Everything else in his world was secondary to killing. Who did he kill? He killed sex workers. Why? Because it was easy for him to show up. He was pull up in his pickup truck. They hop right into his vehicle. He killed most of them in his vehicle, at his home, and in secluded areas. Started off dumping them in the Green River. Once police got hip to that and kept finding them in the Green River, he started dumping them in the woods, and then he started burying them. He made it harder and harder for the law enforcement to find his victims. He wants the trail to go cold because he wants to keep operating in the same manner that he knows how. This method of his is tried and true time and time again. So he wants to keep employing that same method. Gary Ridgway is believed he's got like 40-some confirmed kills, and I believe he's confessed to 71. Part of that was he couldn't stop doing it. He was addicted to the, to the sex and to the murder. But on top of that, he wanted to have high numbers. He wanted to have a big number. If this guy identifies with Ridgway, he very well could be competing with Ridgway. He could be really taking to heart Ridgway's words 
and actions. And if he's doing that, he's going to want to try to beat Ridgeway's number. He's, want, he's going to want to try to go undetected as long or longer as Ridgeway did. Gosh, you know, especially if he's moved into different areas that, you know, where you can kind of kill once and move on to another place. And it's not even necessarily connected to anything other than just a random killing. I would like to know what insider information Kelly had, if he had any at all, that circles around this whole foot fetish thing regarding Atlantic City. I get that their shoes and socks are missing, but that does not make him Jerry Brudos. No, it does not. And it could just be happenstance that they are missing. You know, when I first started looking into this thing, I wondered, well, is it just a coincidence that they are all facing east? I guess maybe I would think that if it were were two or three victims, four seems to kind of rule that out. It seems like that's that is a thing. That's mm-hmm. something. Who knows what it means? It it could very well mean nothing at all other than he doesn't want you to mistake any of these victims for anybody other than his. And I know with some of the victims, the decomposition was was so far along that, that it's tough to really hone in on some aspects of the crime. But do they all appear to have been strangled with, with a ligature? They were only able to determine two of the deaths as being asphyxiated okay. um, because other bodies were so decomposed. But, but they the, say asphyxiated and not strangulation. See, that's the thing about in one of those articles, the detective who speaks to the New Jersey.com reporter talks about how Raffo didn't have any evidence of a struggle or any bruising or anything like that on her body. It's weird. Sometimes like, like you could go to one site and one will say strangulation by ligature and some will say not. I mean, it's like you go on web sleuths and it will say that then you can go on or do you listen to the detective? <laughs> I don't know what to say, but, but I know that Dilts and Brider were too uh, decomposed. And uh, I don't know that I would say that feet have anything to really do with this. I, I feel like, you know, yeah, their shoes are missing. Socks are missing. They're sex workers. But guess what else is missing? Weren't there cell phones and purses and and other items missing? So should we say that he has a cell phone fetish? Touche. Let me see your cell phone, baby. I I don't know. I mean, it could be a thing. To me, it seems like choking and strangling is his thing. That's what seems to be the, the sexual fantasy, the sexual fetish to him. This guy gets more turned on by a neck than he does a set of feet. So when they say, hey, these other other sex workers would be aware that he has a foot fetish or he's asked to do things with their feet, he's willing to pay for types, certain types of acts involving his foot fetish. I go the opposite route. I go to the top of the body. I feel like he he's asked to do things with, with the neck, with, with choking and with putting his hands around someone's neck, putting objects around a woman's neck, what these workers may know him for. And the other thing too, is if he's involved in any type of long-term relationship, the woman that he's involved with is aware that that's kind of his thing as well. I definitely think that that's got to play a role. I mean, the fact that the shoes are gone, I don't know. If you're going to say that the four bodies facing Atlantic City make it more than three, then I don't know. I mean, just to play devil's advocate with you in that regard, I don't know. Maybe he does like shoes. I mean, possibly. Is he redressing these women? That's another thing. It's That's not talked about. And I don't know uh-huh. how many times that that's really ever talked about, to be honest with you. And if he is, does that play more toward the idea that he's at the motel or at a, in a vehicle? The fact that there there isn't any, you know, serious bruising or, uh, you know, blunt force trauma or anything like that. I just think a lot of these victims were seriously inebriated when they were killed. 
And, and they, you know, they might have been strangled. They might have been suffocated with a pillow or whatever, but I think that that's... Or they worked out some kind of deal that they were in a position that would make it very difficult for them to defend themselves. Uh, very Gacy style. Right. Right. There would be things that he could claim that he's willing to pay for with drugs and money, certain acts that he's willing to pay for with drugs and money if they just do or act or behave a certain way, if they're willing to role play with him. That sounds innocent, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Until you can't breathe anymore, until yeah. the lights go out. And guess what? You don't. You can offer to pay whatever you, you want. You don't have to pay if they don't survive the act. This guy's a dirtball, man. And and he'll continue. This is his thing to me. That's that is my my bullshit expert opinion. My my dumb guy from the garage opinion. This guy, the strangulation, the choking, the asphyxiation, and sex are all rolled up into one fantasy for this guy. Do sex workers ever get pushed to the back as far as crimes? I mean, I just... Ever? I I love the question. Ever? I mean, because obviously that's a stupid question because we all know that that all cases get pushed to the back burner as cases progress, which also leads me, and I don't mean to like pontificate here, but we have all these cold cases. And we Mm -hmm. talked with Bill Thomas about this in the Colonial Parkway series Mm -hmm. about all the unsolved cases, the thousands and thousands of unsolved cases. If we just dedicated a, a department in each police force to solving these cases. I mean, it's just like, why is it so hard to have a cold case unit? Or I understand funding. I understand that stuff. But like we pay for billions of dollars and all sorts of shit. And we can't seem to find the money to put together a a task force that could solve some of these cases. I just don't. We both love the show Mindhunter. And again, that's another thing that Bill Thomas likes to bring up. But, you know, that's such an old way of police force. It's just like they don't... FBI doesn't do that anymore. Well, to to answer your first question regarding sex workers, it's really from what I've seen, and this has nothing to do with, with my personal background or family background or anything like that, just from my interest in true crime and, and looking into so many cases over the span of my lifetime. From what I found is it really depends on the area. Yeah, it, the sex worker crimes against, you know, violence against sex workers, murders, things of that nature, in some areas, you're absolutely right. The police just don't care. Why? Because it doesn't, it's really not a threat to the community. They're out policing the community and what would be threats to the community. The community doesn't consider these individuals part of their community. So yes, in some areas, it does get pushed to, to the back burner or to the point of even looking away or going, eh, we'll get to this when we get past these other crimes that matter or get past these other victims that matter. And I want to be clear here before I get a couple of hate emails, that's other people's words and not mine. This case, Atlantic City, I don't see that here. I don't see that that they don't care. I don't see that there's not an effort being put forward. And this goes hand in hand a little bit. One thing that I feel like we're seeing in our current day and present day situations, more so than sex workers not being cared about by law enforcement is drug addicts. I've reviewed so many cases where I don't think they put a whole lot of effort into the investigation when they show up and the victim is a hardcore drug addict and all the people surrounding this person on their inner circle are all drug addicts as well. I think they just kind of throw up their hands and either go, what does it matter? Or I don't know how to to pursue this. And that's, it's a shameful act in, on that 
person as an individual. And it should be, it should be a shameful, they should be ashamed of themselves. This is not something that I think that we should look at a, a police department and go, well, the whole police department's crooked. It's all full of a bunch of dumb, lazy individuals. There, in any line of work out there, there are people that are good at their jobs and people that are bad at their jobs. There are people that care. There are people that don't care. So I think it's really a, a very case-by-case basis. I've seen plenty of, of sex worker cases where, where they did care. And, you know, even in Green River, even in that situation, I understand that he got away with a lot of murders for a very long time. I don't think that was because they didn't care. They set up a task force. This city yeah, didn't a, know what went broke trying to find this guy. Yeah, that's a good example of them them caring. I was just going to go back, like I didn't want to interrupt you. And when you were going about the, you know, we'll move on to the next murder, we'll move on to the next thing. Cause, I mean, yeah, that happens. So my thing is kind of going back to the statement I just made before about, okay, we're now reached a point where we can't get any further with this investigation. So we are going to hand it off to, I don't know, like, I just feel <laughs> maybe I'm just dreaming. I don't know, but it just feels like once it's out of the public spotlight, it doesn't have nearly the desire to be solved. And again, I understand that they run out of evidence. They don't have any leads, but it doesn't mean that, especially Atlantic City, where there's plenty of crime, they've got other crimes that they have to focus on. I mean, murders happen every weekend. It's just like Cleveland. I mean, Columbus has murders every weekend. I mean, every major city does. This, is, this right. isn't like, yes, is there a problem in the country? Yes, we get it. I get it. But in this particular situation, I just find that the sex worker scene in Atlantic City, it's one of those things that they sort of, since it's a casino area and sex working is technically illegal still, it's only legal in Nevada. I also think the police look the other way, just in the sense of even who they're talking to in cities like that. That's just, so that's my two cents on it. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that they don't care. I just think that they just kind of blend in with the community very much like you said about the suspect. The suspect is a part of the community and that's why you can't fucking figure out who he is because he is a drug dealer, a drug taker, a drug user, whatever. He's part of that scene. So he just blends right in. I don't know. That's just my two cents on that. <laughs> well, I mean, this is 2006. So solving this crime, unfortunately, is going to, I believe, yeah. come with a price. And that price is going to be more victims. The, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Again, I believe in a situation like this, law enforcement has to work with, with the people that would have been surrounding the known victims. And that's going to be other drug addicts. That's going to be other sex workers. That's who it's going to be. And it might involve pimps. It might involve some real shady people. None of those people in any of those circles trust law enforcement. In this investigation, it's law enforcement's job and duty if they want to solve this. It's in their best interest to get those individuals to trust them. Tear down those walls. Get them to tell you what you know so you can connect the dots and you can find this guy. This guy is known in these circles. He's not known to be a killer, but he's known to fit into several of those different compartments that we just discussed. And so with him, he's still killing. He's probably not killing in the immediate area, but you know, if a, if a sex worker turns up strangled to death in a wooded area 50 miles away six months ago, unless they're finding physical evidence at that new crime scene, they're not connecting it to the quote-unquote eastbound strangler. Because it's been so many years, I get that they are refusing. I, that's the new 
is that the new hip thing nowadays? Law enforcement's refusing to call it a cold case. Like it's like you've it, only th- I, it's like I, you've I, only thrown in the towel once you've announced I, that you've thrown so, in the towel. It's so funny you say that. I just noticed that too in like the last year or so. It's like we're not gonna call it a cold case. This is we, it's, yeah, it's we got like a stick to call it a cold case. It's a st- it's got a stigma now to it, apparently. Yeah. Yet we've received no tip and we followed no leads on it in the past three or four years. So it, it's a cold case. Sorry, guys. It's a cold case. It is what it is. I mean, you can't make the prostitutes on the street or the pimps tell you what you want to hear by just going and asking them questions. Just like you said, they don't trust the police or the opportunity to solve this case has been missed. And it will take somebody who now that there is a reward actually being offered, you know, somebody who wants to get out of that environment, somebody who wants to have that, you know, next day that they've already got planned out that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. Hey, you know what would be a great step in that direction is that chunk of change that they're going to give me. Right. And I think that that was thrown out there to help, obviously. And the the other thing that makes this even more of a colder case than just the time, it's the lifestyle of the individuals that could provide information to you. That that amount of time is greater than it would be. It's like dog years compared to people that live normal lives, Right. Yeah, how many of them are still alive? High-risk lifestyles by ingesting things into their body that they shouldn't, by putting themselves into dangerous situations. Working on the streets. A lot of these people could have passed away, could have, hopefully, a lot of them have gotten clean and moved on into a better world and may have forgotten about a lot of this stuff. And so that's going to make it difficult. The other thing, too, that you got to think about is this killer moved on. As soon as they found those bodies, he moved on. And I'm not saying that he he picked up everything that he owned and he moved out to Las Vegas. I'm just saying he he moved on in some manner or form. However, what I will keep going back to is he fits in this world. Right. So then who is he? If he fits in this world, he's living a high risk lifestyle as well. And that tells me that he's, he was committing other crimes other than just murdering people. He was buying drugs, selling drugs. Uh, He was a John. He very likely was involved in in crimes that that those types of individuals would be involved in. He very easily could have been picked up for something else. He could have very easily OD'd somewhere. Exactly. Could have got scared and stuck a needle in his arm and and gave himself his own version of the death penalty. Right. So this one's going to be very difficult to solve. And and every day that, that passes makes it, again, it's like dog years, man, 10 times harder. And unfortunately, solving this one will come at a cost. And that cost is more victims. I think one thing that's interesting, again, with this this Birchall who's been labeled a drifter, Mm -hmm. there was some talk that I came across where law enforcement had reached out to other agencies in like Florida and Alaska, which... Mm -hmm. And, and I'm trying to think of another, there was another state that was mentioned in that same report. I want to say Texas, but I don't, uh, you know, that just. Maybe it was Missouri. Very possible. So, and then you asked me earlier, kind of off mic, why does Israel Keys pop up when you, when you, in your Google search, when you start looking into this case, I'm wondering if it's that Alaska connection. Wasn't Israel Keys Alaska? That's exactly what I was thinking of when you just mentioned Alaska. Yes. Yes. That's exactly where he got caught. Or where he committed the crime that led to him getting caught, where he abducted the girl from the coffee shop. And I, I want to be clear, I'm not throwing out there to that mix his real keys right. in the whole mix here. It, it's it's an interesting take, I guess, but um, no, I feel I feel like. Scene possibly and i don't know that we fully understand israel keys's scene 
Well, um, that's true. And, and and again, it's not like these murders happened all over one weekend. I mean, we do know that he liked to, to travel and set up his murder victims that way. Again, let's just not go down too too far. But it is weird that it comes up as when you Google it. It's just it's just so odd, in my opinion. He, but then again, he could be. It's, it's like Ed Edwards, you know. Let's just throw in every crime that he ever did. Or if you've watched the Confession Killer on Netflix over the weekend, the <laughs> how many cases that guy flipping confessed to. Holy shit. I mean, it's one thing to hear about Henry Lee Lucas and then another thing to see Henry Lee Lucas. I mean, this guy is so full of shit. I mean, not to go again off on a tangent, but wow. Um, no wonder John Walsh doesn't believe Otis O'Toole had anything to do with Adam Walsh's death, you know? Well, Henry Lee Lucas lived such a boring life until he was arrested. And it's like, okay, man, we're going to give you, what do you want to eat? How many packs of cigarettes you want? Where do you want to go to today? Okay. That's what we're going to do today as long as you keep talking. Yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was one of those things. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, and then at the end of the series, and then did you watch it? Uh, I, I did watch a little bit of the first episode. And I'm not, um, this isn't a spoiler. I'm not spoiling anything. But the amount, okay, and I won't even just give it, but the amount of murders that they actually do attribute to him. Like three or four, n- isn't it? Okay, what they can connect him physically to, yes. Because he killed his mother, that's a fact. He killed that girl. Was that girl his niece, or was it a or some girl they picked up uh, in Texas? Yeah, he, but he, he claims to have killed like 150 some people. No, no, no. He claims to have killed 600 women. So give or take a few hundred. Give or take. And he literally <laughs> he literally starts off. It's like 150 to 200. Then it's like 400, and then it goes all the way up to 600. Now they've obviously been able to figure out that not every one of these cases is is you know connected to him but um, some of the cases didn't even exist that and then basically he was being fed uh by the law enforcement everything that he was being told or that he was telling them I and mean, he was you know and i and i actually don't feel like most of the detectives involved in that whole thing you know some people refer to it as a scandal you know i i don't know that it was i don't know that it was meant to be anything other than some detectives wanted to interview somebody and i think maybe they ran a little wild with it you know at this definitely ran wild with it well, well yeah 100 ran wild with it but at, but at the same time you have things going on in our nation and our eyes opening up to the idea of these traveling serial killers and and you have very smart detectives that made a really dumb assumption and really dumb leaps going oh no shit i couldn't solve this this murder in cincinnati because the whole my killer took off and moved to texas you know in and the other thing too is if you identify someone as being pure evil with the with the capability and motive to kill, and why not? I mean, it's we we saw it with Bundy, we've seen it with so many others, and, and that's what they were kind of dealing with at the time. It was a it was an it was an awakening, yeah, in, in a way to recognizing to recognizing that that something is going on, that there's this serial killer phenomenon going on. But yeah, um, it was right after Bundy, so I mean, right. And, and but but there was going to be missteps during that growing period, as there are with any any type of thing. Let's like just that. say there were the Texas Rangers. I think took a, a little bit of a hit for this one because right. of the fact that they still to this day attribute him for two hundred murders. Right, two hundred murders. That's just the Texas Rangers that nobody else does. In all reality, too, Henry Lee Lucas was a man that couldn't think his way out of a paper bag. You know, so th- this is not some Hannibal Lecter criminal mastermind this was this was a, a low-level scumbag drifter 
who only thought about what he needed for that day. He didn't think about the next day. He didn't think about the next week. He was not somebody that could trick two dozen people into being killed. It was, uh, he's an impulsive moron. <laughs> and I mean, that's really opportunistic. Right, right. This, he was no, he was no Ted Bundy. He was no, Gary Ridgway was not even considered as far as IQ goes to be a very intelligent man or even oh. an intelligent man, but Gary Ridgway. And this is what I think we have here too, with Atlantic city Ridgway adapted. He was smart enough to adapt when they started finding the bodies in the water. He was smart enough to put them in the water to begin with to th- that destroy some of the evidence they start to find him in the water he doesn't care about his moniker the green river killer and he starts putting them in the woods why because they're going to be looking for him in, in the water then he has another problem when he starts putting them in the woods is when he starts going back and having sex with the dead bodies yeah, so that's he, a problem well it's a problem for it's increasing his risk of getting caught by this point law enforcement is well aware that some of these guys return to their to the bodies mm-hmm and we saw this in the with the Atlanta child killer. We see it right. in, in uh, the Green River killer case. We see it in the Michigan murders case. Um, I can't think. I can't, his name always escapes me. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. Norman. Uh, just give me two seconds. I know the damn thing. So the co- we're talking about the co-ed killer. Yeah. The the co-ed killer, not Edmund Kemper. Right. Co-ed killer. The original co-ed killer. I would guess you would say. Yeah, because I mean, in all reality. I mean, he was before Bundy. So, I mean, this was, he was 69, 67 to 69. And yeah, it was um, uh, John Norman Chapman. John Norman Chapman. So, and then John, he was known at the time, though, as John Norman Collins. So, with all three of those cases, we know that they set up, they pretended not to find a body and set up surveillance around those bodies, waiting for the killer to return. You know, make no announcement that we actually recovered the body. Let's see who comes strutting up in the middle of the night or in the middle of the afternoon looking for this body or just happens to put themselves in the area of this body. And so what Gary Ridgway did was not just to, it was not to save himself from the despicable gross act of having sex with a dead body. It was to save his own ass from getting thrown behind bars because guess what? The true fantasy involves a live victim and yeah. that all goes away once I get locked up. And I think with this drifter, with this, uh, I, I keep saying drifter, but with this Atlantic City, no, he is a drifter individual. I think I think he's adapted, but only because those bodies were found. Again, it, he didn't care so much that they would be found. I don't think that he put them there thinking that they would never be found. That that would just be dumb to think that. He yeah. put them there because it was convenient. Yeah, it was convenient for him. And I think that the fact that it was right off the expressway, I think that could lead to the thought that it may have been, you know, long haul truck driver, which everybody loves to go to, you know, first and foremost is. But again, it's unfortunate. But but, the, but the, again, uh, when you're profiling, that's everything about the what what we said at the start of this this show. The you profile the offender, the victims, the area, and the situations involved. And when profiling all of those, what do we see here? This is an area, the motel, the Black Horse Pike, all of it lends itself to a transient lifestyle for the victims and for probably the offender as well. So I wouldn't be shocked if it was a trucker or if it was, um, you know, a drifter or something of that nature. The, the, the tricky thing there gets to be the quick turnaround with your last victim between last being seen and being found well i mean he could have committed the crime and then left town the next day i mean it's just the fact that they just so happened to stumble across the victim 
I mean, I, I don't know. Just a, It could just be a coincidence. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. One thing, too, while we're, you know, we talked a little bit about the discrepancy in the reporting of how the bodies were found. I did come across one report that said that uh, Kimberly Raffo was found near the motel. Like, yeah, I, saw I found one too. report that said that, like, right out back, like almost, you know, within that she's not in the drainage ditch, is what I'm getting at. From what I read, it was really close to Olson's apartment or motel room. And that's, I think, one of the reasons, too, why I mean, again, a scorned lover is going to be a scorned lover, but the guy was a creep ball. I mean, he should have been on the radar no matter what. So, um, yeah, I'm not but, saying it's impossible that it was him. It's very convenient that he happens to be there about the same time yeah and it's just and just because his dna doesn't match it we don't even know what kind of dna they have they haven't said a damn thing about it because they have one press conference i want to go back now this is just totally off subject but just real quick back to ridgeway and the green river killer you know his killing spree started in 82 and he was throwing the bodies in the river right away well you know what occurred before 82 was the atlanta child killings where they talked on the national news about how you know if the bodies were found in the river they wouldn't be able to find fibers or whatever you gotta wonder if they were if he was aware of that atlanta child killer was the opposite situation he was first putting them in the in the woods and other areas on land and then he adapted to putting them in the water i've seen no here's the thing if that's why this this guy uh virtual is so scary to me because he's referencing a killer who has the same type of victims who's doing the same type of acts this is almost what I would expect to see. I, you know, there was one interview with the serial killer, and I can't remember his name off off the top of my head here. But he said in his interview to uh, the FBI, to I believe this was to John Douglas, said, you know, when you were a kid, you grew up and you probably collected baseball cards, and you probably could read off baseball and football stats. Well, I read about serial killers. I collected Detective Magazine. I I knew stats, but I knew stats from killers and. Yes say it was Kemper. And so you are exactly right. They, a lot of these guys, if, if they're, if they're somewhat organized, they are aware of previous killers. They're aware of things that got these previous killers caught. They're aware of not only that, because some of the things that these previous killers did are portions of their own fantasies. They want to read about it. They want to study about it. They want to learn how to do it. And you're exactly right. I, I don't, that's why I think this virtual guy is, is very, very scary to me. He has a lot of the markings of what I would expect to see. And I would love to know what Denise Hill, was that her name? Yeah. I would, I would love to know the details of what she's telling police, what were involved in the quote unquote confession that Birchall gave to her. Yeah, I mean, it, from what I determined from the, you know, the article that I was reading is that she didn't go into too many specifics, but it would be interesting to talk to her and see if she was still one of alive. 
uh, or around or clean and sober or would even re remember that type of thing. And I think that's kind of goes back to what you were saying also about all these people, you know, it's 13 years old, it's, or 12 years old, it's, these people live a high risk lifestyle, the chances of them, one, remembering anything from that time in their lives, even if they were clean and sober now, it's probably few and far between. So, you know what I would be if I were the detectives, my ploy to the the public would be we want to talk to sex workers or drug addicts who fought off an attacker. I wouldn't be surprised if there was someone who got away. And that's who we want to talk to. Who was that that attacked you? How did they attack you? What what do you think the motivation was for their attack? Can you identify them? Can you locate this person? That's who you need to talk to. You, you can find a victim within that group of people that don't trust you. They might trust you if they identify as a victim, if they recognize that you might be able to help them. It's just, a, I, I, again, I don't see a situation here where they're turning away from it because, because of the, the victimology. I just wish that there were connections made. Maybe there were. Maybe that's how this whole conversation with Denise Hill came about. Um, but that's going to be your way of, of solving this, is, is talking to people that are peers of the, truly peers of the, of, of the victims. Yeah, this is definitely one where you're going to have to get out on the street and actually do some boots on the ground type of uh, policing. And I think that that is... You know, it's probably something that they did, obviously, after the fact. But even if you're going to because I know that in 2000 and I don't know, 2015, 2016, I mean, the Atlantic City prosecutor's office is trying to make it a point to get this case solved because it's for one reason, at the very least, tourism. Who wants a serial killer when you Google Atlantic City to come up? <laughs> Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's not a good look. Um now if it says serial killer caught, that's a little bit more of a okay. But cuz everybody's got somebody that does something wrong, but man, I mean, even Cleveland had the uh, Cleveland Strangler, the East Side Strangler, whatever the hell they've nicknamed him. But I mean, we had so well. So I mean, that's just one of gosh, knows, you know, whatever the how many serial killers are out there. What serial killer did you have in Columbus? We've had we've had some. There was uh, there was one that it was there was one that they were tracking here in the early 2000s and it was weird because there was really no there was really no understanding that it was the same guy uh he was actually killing on his inner circle like the, the all the victims had a connection to him and that's how they easily found him but it was like four bodies turned up but it was not in a way that you would connect them Mm. the public wouldn't connect them. The papers didn't connect them. It wasn't until after the fact that they're like, oh, we arrested this guy for, oh, you remember those four murders that happened in the past eight months or last year and a half? Those were all connected and it was all this dude. We've had several. There were uh, the uh, the Blood Brothers back in the, I think it was the 70s. They were, um, I think they called him the, the 22 caliber killer, which is a name that's been used before and, and since then. And it turned out to be two brothers. Oh, that's ironic. Oh, is that or is that why they called him that? <laughs> Did they call him the twenty-two caliber killer because there was two of them, or no? They were using a twenty-two caliber gun to. Okay, I was gonna say like so. It was coincidence that there was yeah, two and they didn't call them the Blood Brothers until after they were. But they were twins. Uh, you said. Did I say that? I don't know if I can't remember. Maybe it, they were brothers. It know. was a case that I, I've only 
you know, just very limited uh, knowledge of, of the case. Yeah, it's all, I, I don't know. I just think that like every major metropolitan city is going to have a serial killer at some point in time. It's just a given with the statistics. And yeah, Gary and Thaddeus Lewinden, it looks like we're the uh, Blood Brothers. I don't know. Hold on. This is weird. I've never heard of these people before. This is crazy. But yeah, Gary and Thaddeus Lewinden. Yeah, what little knowledge I have of the case. I think there is some kind of question about it too. Like, um, I think one of them turned on the other one. So there, I think there are some people that think like maybe one of them was innocent or uh, again, I have very limited knowledge yeah, yeah, of the yeah, case. Yeah. We can wrap up since we've been talking for three hours. Like, right. Like usual. So. I forgot. I actually didn't realize it had been that long. <laughs> it's just, it's but just we only way. we only started on yours at a little after ten thirty. So I guess we're no, it worked out just fine. It worked out fabulously, actually. So let's just wrap it up. And so Nick, now that we're kind of discussing the case, kind of reached a point where we're where the authorities are. We don't really know where this case is going to go from here. Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think this case is probably connected to some other cases out there. I don't think that they've obviously made the connection. I think there very likely could be other victims. 100%, I, I would think it to be very strange and very unlikely that it's connected to the Gilgo Beach or Long Island serial killer. Again, this individual very well could be serving time. I think that the offender lives a high-risk lifestyle or did back in 2006, and that could add to the what I think is probably the unlikelihood of solving these four murders. I think it's going to take the solving of another case to lead them to lead them back to these cases. I, I do agree with you on that. It's one of those unfortunate uh, situations where the killer is going to have to keep on killing in order for the solution to kind of come about. I think that there isn't enough evidence at this present moment for the police to work with to bring any charges against anybody, especially since we know that Olison's given his DNA. The police have said, you know, he's not like he's 100% off the hook, but DNA, the silence on the case. I mean, if they thought it was him, they probably would have brought him in already i would assume my thought is it's going to be the public i'm glad there's a reward out there now hopefully that will trigger somebody to come in and say hey i know something about this case and i was like you said before maybe it's the person that got away and they mm -hmm. realize hey wait a second that could have been the situation that i found myself in but never put two and two together now that it's out there and with john kelly making a push with the profiling group and all that other other stuff that's going on within the case. There's at least a little bit of hope that the case does get solved. But at this point in time, I mean, 13 years down the road, it does look like we're court, we're sort of at a standstill. And, and it is sort of up to the, the public, if they know anything, to really kind of come forward. That's right. Yeah. So, Nick, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining me again for another riveting conversation about serial killing. <laughs> and uh, you know all the good things in America that we get to deal with. Well, thank you, Bill, for having me on the show, and I will talk to you soon. All right, man. Well, I do appreciate it, and uh, thanks again. Many thanks to Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast. All of their shows are available on the Stitcher app, and I really do appreciate it when he makes the time to join us on Who Killed. It's always a pleasure to have him on. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, you can support the show by clicking on the donate button on the right-hand side of whokilledamymahalovic.com or via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3. I will also provide a link in the show notes. Any amount is appreciated, and it really does help keep this podcast running. 
If you do enjoy this podcast, I would ask to please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows because that will help support the show and help keep important cases such as the Atlantic City Four in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered and the new shows that I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. If you are new to the show, all 40-plus of my previous episodes are available for free wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The FBI would like to know if you have any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of the Atlantic City Four. You can reach them by calling 1-800-CALL-FBI. And if you want to stay anonymous, you can always reach out to Crime Stoppers. So again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be safe. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Kearns and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now.